You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve Bowes and Trish McFarlane. Trish, in the time of coronavirus, last time I asked you what item were you secretly hoarding? Now I'm going to ask you, Trish, what item are you now secretly rationing? Oh my goodness, that is such a tough question. What am I rationing? Okay, it's really silly. I'm rationing my granola bars. Oh, the kind kind bars they're like dark chocolate cherry cashews i don't even know what's in them but it's like <laughs> like candy yeah i hide them i hide them from my children so i don't oh, know what are you yeah. rationing it's a, it's an easy answer trish i've not gone out in a while but the last time i did go out i bought a box of vanilla moon pies and Ew, really I'm trying hard not to run out of them. I allow myself one per day or perhaps one every other day. Yeah, because I feel like once I run out of those, I'm going to have to venture back outside. Okay. I have to ask because I've seen moon pies. Like I know what they are. I've seen them like at Cracker Barrel. How how do you get like hooked on moon pies? Like I don't, I've never, I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone who's bought them before. Oh, well, you haven't lived then, Trish. If you haven't experienced the moon pie, I'll try to get I some mean- uh, in the mail I'm for you. By vanilla? Ew. They, no, vanilla. See, I, I, I zig when others zag. I think the chocolate or the banana is another flavor that people like. But uh, oh, I like the vanilla moon pie. We'll have to ask our fellow uh, show hosts and see if they're moon pie people or not. I guess I'm in the no moon pie category. Uh, could be a southern thing. I don't know. Um, but they are readily available here, as far as I can tell. Although, who knows what's they're going to be readily, readily available. available. They're probably available everywhere, Steve. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm staying right, home. Well, I don't know what's out there in the world. All right. Trish, let's talk about our sponsors. All right. Well, we are very excited because uh, the HR Happy Hour show is sponsored by Paychex. Paychex makes it simple for businesses of all sizes to pay and manage their employees. They make payroll easy and automatic, and they handle benefits programs. Paychex guides businesses through their human resource challenges by keeping them up to date with the ever-changing laws and regulations, both online and mobile, over the phone and in person, or any combination of the above. With Paychex, they work with you the way you want to work, and you can learn more at Paychex.com. We are also super excited, though, Steve, because we have a new sponsor joining us for the first time, and this is actually a sponsor for the entire HR Happy Hour Network. Nice. Work human. I know, right? So welcome, Work Human, to the show. Um, you and I have known Work Human uh, for many years. Actually, I think, um, at least for myself, uh, probably 10 to 12 years, something like that. So uh, Work Human, for anyone who's not familiar, uh, when colleagues are empowered uh, to recognize and reward each other for a job well done, it's more than just a thank you. It's a human moment. And creating human moments is what Work Human does. 
20 years of customer data proves that peer-to-peer social recognition forges deeper human bonds, connects employees to meaning and purpose, improves performance, can cut turnover in half, and drives business forward. And to learn more, you can visit them at workhuman.com. Awesome. Well, thanks to uh, our friends at Paychex and at WorkHuman. Excited to welcome them aboard uh, to the network. And speaking of the network, Trish, the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network, we are joined by our fellow HR Happy Hour Podcast Network show hosts. First off, we have today with us George LaRock. George is the founder of HR Wins and is the host of HR Market Watch. His show covers topics in the emerging HR technology space, with a focus on innovative new technology companies and solutions. George, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you all today? You, sounds good. You sound very deep and resonant. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's good for a podcast host. You've got a great voice for this. I love that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome back to the show. And before we we dive in too much uh, with George and his deep voice, we also must welcome <laughs> Madeline Lorano. She's the founder of Aptitude Research and the host of Radical Research. Her podcast is a new conversation in HCM research, one that moves beyond what has happened in the past and looks at what is important for the future. Madeline, how are you today? Hey, Steve. It's great to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome to have you here. And by the way, fantastic. I uh, just want to shout out to Madeline. Before everything got really, really crazy with the coronavirus, Madeline did a great show with uh, the professor at Boston University all on the show, which was awesome. And I enjoyed quite a bit. So kudos to you on that show. Thank you. And it's crazy how much has changed just in, I think, what, two weeks since that show went live. But it's it's already a completely different world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's let's get, let's catch back up. It's been a little while, George. I haven't talked to you in a little while. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. I and I know, like, and, and we talked a little bit pre-show uh, about, you know, with almost everything kind of is uh, influenced or impacted or changed, right? From uh, our daily lives to our work lives to events, et cetera, et cetera. Our kids' schools with with coronavirus. We're gonna sort of try not to make this the the coronavirus HR happy hour show for the next who knows however months, but. <laughs> It's hard not to talk about it a little bit, but uh, George, maybe just uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening in your world and maybe what's happening kind of in the HR tech space that you're keeping an eye on and just uh, give us a little update. Yeah, well, it's it's hard, right? Not to not to focus on the coronavirus because that that's so much of what's happening out there. Um, you know, I, I think uh, when it comes to HR Market Watch, um, I've got a show that I've I delayed a little bit, case in point, right? I, it's with the CEO um, of SHL, Andy Bradshaw. Uh, it's right. around how they see the assessment uh, marketplace changing. And, you know, he's a, uh, he's a great, a great guest with, you know, he, he's got a, um, a British accent, right? So, you know, those are, it's <laughs> always great for podcasts and he's, uh, but, but, you know, I delayed it. I didn't send it over for the network because it was like, well, now this Corona thing's going on. Is that tone deaf? And I, I, that's one thing that I deal with every day. Yeah. Like if I put out this email, is it tone deaf? If I, you know, what's that balance to strike? And I think that's one thing all of the HR tech vendors to get to your question are, are struggling with, right? They want to, the economy is, um, is in, a, in tough shape at the moment. Budgets are, are, are being evaluated, reevaluated, um, you know, m- new financial models going into place. And, but they want to, you know, you got to keep the business running. And 
how do you strike that balance? And I'm, I, a lot of the vendors that I'm talking to, uh, that's what I'm hearing. And I'm seeing a lot of, um, a lot of both sides of that argument on the buyer side, people who appreciate that, Hey, we got to keep this running, but people who also are annoyed by anybody trying to sell them or market them anything. So that I'm seeing a lot of that. Um, I'm still seeing investments uh, taking place, but you know, anytime you see an announcement on an investment, that's a process that's been going on for months. Um, right. So we, we, we will certainly have an impact. Um, it's not good. This, this quarter's report, we, it won't be, you won't notice it. Uh, but as we roll into Q, calendar Q2, you know, I'm expecting there to be some, um, a slower pace of, of, um, of new VC flowing into the market. You know, George, it's, it's funny that you're talking about that because it's, it's true. It's, I'm hearing this from, you know, customers that I'm dealing with as well. And that struggle of sort of finding that balance. Um, you know, one thing I think those that are starting to kind of in my my estimation doing it like right and putting that in like air quotes it's it's coming across in a very human way right you're you're concerned for the person's well-being before you're trying to sell them something obviously but are you finding that now that most people are at least maybe a week to two weeks into it i'm starting to get a sense though that they're they're almost ready for a little bit of normalcy to come back from a work perspective. Are you getting any sense of that yet? Or is it still just a little bit too early? Cause I think the first week for sure was like, people did not really want to think about work. Right. Are you seeing yeah. that shift at all? Or are we still really kind of too early for that? Um, I, I think it's shifting uh, a little. And one of the barometers that I use, um, I, I have for, the, for these investment reports, I have, it's over 60 sources now, you know, news sources that it's, it's automated, it, it funnels in, and I, I sift through a lot of news um, to get to the investment articles. And because there isn't like a commercial database that, that get, gets more than half of it for me. So I, I see a lot, I see all of the news media, all of the industry publications, see a lot of headlines go by. And I just noticed in the last couple of business days that I'm actually, you know, for most of the two weeks, all I saw was uh, pandemic related articles, <laughs> whether even if it was about right. recruiting, it was how to recruit in a pandemic or how to work <laughs> from home or how to, how to, you know, think about benefits in a pandemic. Um, now I've seen a few articles that are just, you know, I saw uh, how to write a good job description came across my desk from um, Harvard Business Review today. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. And I was like, that's good. I like, that's good. <laughs> that's nice. That's refreshing. So yeah. I, th I think it's shifting. I think that that flow of what, you know, what people are talking about. That's just a barometer for me. And, and I, I think so. I, I what, how, how do you guys feel about that? Um, I was just going to chime in too. I think, I think you're right, George. I think um, that there is an interest in talking about work. And I think for a lot of people, they take pride in their work and work can be frustrating, but it's also something that, you know, gives us meaning, I think, in, in, in our lives. And when you kind of take that away and we're so focused on the pandemic and, the uncertainty that we're living in, um, it can be kind of a scary place. So I'm, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing more conversations around work and trends in this industry and, you know, what people are dealing with. But also there's the reality of, you know, for talent acquisition, what do you do if you have to recruit remotely? And there are really 
you know, questions and practical advice for, for companies. Like I just heard recently on just screening. So for a lot of the drug, this is really interesting to me, but a lot of the drug testing facilities for background screening happen to be in the same facility that a lot of the COVID testing is happening because they're in the same health you know, facility. Mm-hmm. So when you're sending a candidate, even if they're remote right now to go take a drug test, that could be in the same building where someone's coming in very sick, getting tested for COVID. So you have to be very careful with your communication and think about safety of candidates. You know, to me, that stuff is really practical and, you know, really, really relevant to how companies are thinking about recruitment today. So I think it's kind of a mix between wanting to talk about work and and business and getting back to normal, but at the same time, navigating that through this new normal. How do you think um, the leaders you're talking to are getting informed about some of those safety concerns? Because that's one thing I probably have not seen a lot coming out about um, in terms of if you are, in fact, recruiting. Because, as you know, there are quite a few industries that are now hiring, you know, double or triple what they were, were doing before. You know, I just heard yesterday, for example, that Dollar General is hiring like 50,000 employees, um, which is really obviously, you know, a great increase for them. How are they staying informed? Um, because a lot of the news is, is pretty negative, more around health concerns, but I'm not seeing a lot of tips to do once you're, once you're talking about maybe getting them background screened or whatnot. Yeah, it's, to me, it's so interesting. And Georgia, I'd love to hear what, what you're seeing from companies you're talking with, but it's, I think it's really a mix. There's a lot of these articles that are blogs, like five things to do to stay safe or to recruit. Um, and then there's, you know, a lot of resources out there that come from vendors. And I think a lot of companies are trying to figure out where to get this information and how to understand their own policies. I mean, Steve, that podcast that that we did with the professor from BU, her recommendation for employers to deal with this is really to use the CDC as their guideline for communication around safety and around, you know, keeping employees informed. So um, I think it's kind of you know, just my opinion, using CDC, but then also, you know, being really educated and thinking about what information you're going to give to your HR teams and and to your employees. Yeah. And I think you made a great point, Madeline, or a great example you gave regarding um, sending a candidate or a potential hire to to a a drug test uh, facility. I think if you were doing that right now, especially in the circumstance where there might be uh, COVID testing going on in the same facility, you need to think really long and hard about whether or not that, that process that you got, that process you've run for years about having someone to go get a drug test is really something you need to continue or are or, or able to continue. And I, I know certain jobs are going to require that, right? I'm not really necessarily talking about those, but uh, if it's one that that's just your process and you, you want to drug test everybody, maybe time to rethink that, you know, in addition to figuring out how to get around it is, is think whether or not the process itself needs to change. There's so many specific examples of things that are you know, it's not the same for everybody's business either. So I think a lot of people are really struggling with how do we, how do you just operate in this environment? And, you know, I, I, when it comes to, you know, I saw somebody write something the other day I thought was interesting. Like, you know, maybe if you're, if you're hiring a hundred thousand people right now, like, you know, 50,000 people, like some of the examples Trish gave, um, how many interviews are actually going to take place? I mean, we're in a, crisis mode or the, and those businesses are in a crisis mode trying to keep up. Um, Is this where we start to see, um, you know, start to see more of a, 
that automation and online assessment um, start to really drive to all the way to the higher, even more so than the few examples we've seen before. Um, it's faster, it's efficient. Um, and there are a few studies, not, I'll say studies, I'll say case studies, like examples, where folks have foregone the interview and they're having decent results. This was before the, the pandemic. Um, so I, I, I think that's a really good point, Steve. Like re, it, it's, there's an opportunity here to rethink even beyond the crisis, like what, what works and what gets us to, to where we need to be faster. Yeah. If you guys, I don't remember, uh, I'm going to, hopefully I'm getting this right. I want to say it was Bath and Body Works. I'm going to go out on a limb on, on this because I did a, I did an Alexa show on this, but um, it, they, right before the coronavirus became, you know, the number one, you know, dominant story in, in the world was they were working on this thing and, and piloting this thing called open hiring, right? Which is, I think what you're getting to George, right? They had basically said for certain jobs in their, their distribution centers, and warehouses. And I think they were going to pilot it in the retail stores as well. And again, this was before it all kind of went crazy uh, that they were just basically going to forego all that stuff and just say, if you're eligible to work in the U S and you could, uh, you could lift 50 pounds This is for the, the warehouse distribution jobs. And I forget what the third one was, but um, if you could answer yes to all those three questions, you're hired. That was it. And, and they had data in the pilot program that showed they had done uh, turnover was much less productivity was higher, et cetera, et cetera. Like it was working for them. This idea of just, we're just going to hire the first person who shows up who meets those three screening questions, which I thought was super interesting. Now we'll see how that might have to change or, or, or will change. And I don't know, church, can you do that for 50,000 people? They were hiring about 400 people, right. In, in their busy times. Um, I don't know well, if you can I'm hire 50,000 that way, but I thought it was a super interesting story anyway. I think you can. And the reason I'm thinking that, and I hadn't really given it much thought before, is that, you know, when I started into human resources, I worked for manpower. That was my first job running a manpower office. And so while we did, I guess we, we called it an interview, we brought temporaries that were predominantly for, I'd say 80 to 85% of our work was industrial. And so I wasn't hiring 50,000, but certainly several thousand at a time sometimes for multiple shifts and multiple companies, really large companies. And you know, the interview consisted of them coming in and filling out the paperwork. But yes, if that was made available online, which back then it really wasn't. Um, yeah, it was really just, you know, do you have a, a clear, you know, criminal record? And yeah, answer these two or three questions. Yeah, can you lift 50 pounds? Do you have a forklift license, whatever? And you're good <laughs> to go. And for the most part, most of the employees that we hired were fine. Once in a while, you'd have a, you know, a rare situation. So yeah, I guess if you're looking at the numbers and, and kind of playing the odds a little bit, yes, you could in theory hire large numbers of people to do sort of repetitive work or work that, you know, is going to have, I don't know, a fairly high amount of supervision to it, or, or if it's very process driven, things like that. Yeah. I think you absolutely could now with the uh, technology in place to actually, you know, sort of take out that in-person interview because Again, we weren't, I wouldn't even call it an interview. They were coming in, getting some papers, filling it out, and we were giving them their shift. So I don't see it as that different than what we were doing, and that would have been in the, you know, mid-90s. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, to me, the story is a little bit about, like, if you want to take a, a bigger picture look at it, is like, it, it, as George said, too, is, like, is this an opportunity to rethink some of the things we're doing and, and to really just analyze our, our ability to incrementally add additional insight and value to this process, right? Or, or as I said, in the Bath and Body Works example, 
we just hire the first person who shows up and, and we're going to get a better outcome than whatever process we had before, which involved, you know, at least a couple of interviews, like or one anyway, right. Where someone sat down across from someone else and someone tried to miraculously determine if that person would be a good fit for the job or not. But you know what, I mean, and maybe Madeline, you can weigh in here um, just because from a research perspective, I mean, I wonder, does research actually show that sitting down at a, you know, with an in-person interview truly impacts, you know, all of those types of jobs. I don't know. I don't know what that answer is. I've never seen research that that's been done on that. Madeline, is there anything like in your experience where you've seen like, where, where it says if you, you know, if you have a customer service type role, for example, or a warehouse role that actually having an in-person interview or face-to-face interview makes a big difference in whether or not they're successful in the job longer term? No, it's so interesting, but there's a lot of research out there about that that's what hiring managers want. So it's, you know, companies can rethink their processes and talent acquisition can try to reinvent what it's done that just doesn't work in this new climate and hiring managers and their mentality doesn't change. I just did this interview with um, the former SVP of talent acquisition at Bank of America, and she said that was, that's their biggest issue is, you know, they'll, they'll try to rethink talent acquisition they'll meet the needs of a more sophisticated candidate, but the mentality of the hiring manager is, is not changing. And they, you know, either insist on the in-person meeting, regardless of all the other data points that are being presented to them, or um, they delay the process. And I think, you know, Steve, to your point about rethinking all of this, I think that's such a, a big hurdle for companies is, you know, they need to think about being more efficient. If you're hiring, 50,000 people for for Dollar General, that needs to happen pretty quickly. If you're hiring 100,000 fulfillment positions at Amazon, it needs to happen quickly. And you can't wait for an interview to happen and get scheduled and then wait two weeks after that before the hiring manager starts to give their feedback and input on that interview to be able to to make that happen. So, um, you know, I think it, it comes back to the role technology plays and then you know, the, this rethinking how everything's working. I saw that Walmart, Walmart's hiring, I think, what, 150,000 um, employees. Mm-hmm. And they said that their typical talent acquisition process is two to three weeks. So it will mm-hmm. take two to three weeks to get someone through. And they now need 24 hours. So how is that going to happen? What are the solutions out there that can make that happen? And then how do they change their attitude around it? Well, and I think now that's where the hiring managers will have no choice, right? The rug has kind of been ripped out from all all of us as hiring managers, and we have no choice but to get people into these roles quickly in order to keep the, you know, the economy going, really. Um, And so maybe, I mean, maybe that'll be one of the, the sort of silver lining in all of this is that some of the processes that we've maybe had technology to support a change for, you know, a number of years and not really had the employee or leader attitudes to be willing to make the change. Maybe now they don't have a choice. So we shall see. Another thing I thought was super, super interesting around this, around some of these, um, these pretty big shifts, right. In, in, in labor demand. And I wrote about this a little bit on the H3HR side as well is like some of these companies kind of have some experience, I would think, right. In these mass hiring events, like whether it's Walmart or Lowe's or some of the other big retailers who do a lot of um, holiday season hiring. Right. But then I was reading like Papa John's, right? The one article I read, Papa John's is going to had hire 20,000 people like really quickly, right? And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way anybody at Papa John's, at least in the current, in their Papa John's roles, right? Had had, had to hire that many people that quickly. Like 
you know, there's just no way, right? That never happened. And I'm thinking, how are some of the, the Harris Teeter, right? Which is where I go get my groceries is hiring 5,000 people in North Carolina. And I'm thinking that's probably all the people they've hired in the last two years. And now they're trying to hire them in two weeks. And I'm, I'm super interested. Maybe when this is all over, I'd love to track down some of the talent acquisition folks from companies like that and, and, and talk to them about, about how it went. Yeah, it's so interesting. And just, you know, I think even for a lot of these smaller grocery stores, um, and I know Publix was, was not far behind this, they didn't have ATSs till you know, just a few years ago. And you know, that's, that's a lot of hiring right now in a short period of time with maybe not the right tools and resources to, to manage it. Great point. You know, in addition to, you know, we're talking a lot about sort of the hiring side of things. I've been thinking a lot about kind of all, all the different acquisitions and mergers that have been happening kind of leading up to this um, in the HR industry. I'd be curious, George, you know, even right before this, just weeks before this, there were several um, big mergers and acquisitions and HCM from a perspective of like, if you are someone who's going through that right now, regardless of what industry you're in, have you seen any research or have any experience in your own background, um, on how things like that might be impacted from an employee perspective? So obviously those are the times when you have a lot of volatility and, you know, who's going to do what job, or you might be fearful of losing your job. What are your thoughts around sort of if you're part of a merger or acquisition and something like this happens, are you more secure, less secure? Have you given any thought? Oh, if if you're, say, you were just recently acquired and now this yeah. happens? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I think that's a... I haven't really thought about that. I've thought a lot about what's going to happen with, you know, this, you know, different startups and to the pace of uh, M&A activity in the space. But, um, but I, I think it um, just quickly, I think it, it's case by case, right? So um, if you were, um, let's, let's say uh, you look at that, um, the Kronos ultimate deal, um, you know, they become a, uh, from a revenue perspective, you know, they become a $3 billion company revenue, right? With a 20, they, before this, they had a $20 billion um, valuation. If you're part of that, um, in that environment, there's, the risk probably doesn't look much different than it did before, where you had, you know, there's, there's always some duplication of, of resources, um, but you know, there's always some room for for growth and moving people into new roles. And they were actually projecting hiring a bunch of new people in several different areas. Um, now, if you're in a smaller, um, you know, let let's say a, a smaller acquisition where it's like a a scale up acquiring a startup, um, you have to you know the factors, the variables are, you know, how much. Um, how much money was that company spending? Was that acquisition like a huge bet before this happened? Um, and they don't have a lot of cash reserves, you know, to carry them through. You know, it's it's case by case. There are small businesses who have great plans for these types of things or um, will see their way through managing it. But, um, you know, there are, there are vendors in the space that uh, there are rumbles about some of the major job board brands laying off hundreds of people and looking at the spend that they've had to maintain for branding. And you, know, you hear them on, 
on, you know, Sirius radio and you see them on, you know, cable TV, you know, prior to this, um, you know, that when, when the, when the market stops abruptly like this, that, that takes that, that cash flow out and uh, away. And it, it's, you know, those are big, those are bigger vendors where there's probably more risk than some of the small to medium sized vendors who are managing more conservatively. Right. So I think it's case by case. I was going to say, I think that'll be interesting to see what happens to those, because again, a lot of times, you know, people don't always, um, when they're going through that, whether you're being acquired, but especially if you're the person acquiring the other one, you don't always think about all the people issues and who's going to be, you know, beware other than maybe at the top spots. So I wonder if we'll see people, um, you know, retaining employees a little bit longer just to kind of see where things shake out. Because George, I think, I think you made a great point. You might be able to use someone in a different role than what they were in before, but you still don't want to let them go. So yeah, I'll be curious to see how that happens. Yeah. And I think this is really interesting kind of portion of this kind of whole situation that we'll, we'll have to think about an organization I have to think about too. And I'm sort of fascinated by how quickly or, or less quickly organizations react right um to what most of us consider to be kind of a temporary disruption right of of quote unquote normal business now of course none of us really know how long this temporary disruption is going to be and and nor do we i guess know how quickly uh things might return to to the to the normal uh or something close to it but i worry i think about it too like if you're a company that whether a tech company or any kind of company really and you say you know all of a sudden we're going to, we're just going to purge X thousands of people to try and go into survival mode, et cetera. I just wonder if we'll look back on this and see certain organizations who did that just never can come back. They just never will. And, and part of the reason I would suspect, and I'll, I'll be interested in this is they can't come back because they, they just cut down to almost nothing so much and so quickly that there's just no returning from it. Like, it, 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 I guess, I don't know, I guess maybe I'll throw that as a question to the group is like, is, is it a possibility that you, you sort of overreact to this, that overreaction ends up being worse than underreacting maybe to it? I, I think so, Steve. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's so different than what we saw like 2008, 2009, which is obviously a different situation and it's, you know, different reasons. But um, what I'm seeing today is that there's, so much associated with the brand and how they treat their employees more than ever before. So I think it's not just that they would, you know, get rid of so many people and not be able to then sustain or thrive eventually, um, you know, when, when this, this situation is over. Um, it's that their brand is so negatively impacted that, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to be able to, um, get customers back because we like to be associated with brands that we think are treating people well. You know, Hilton, I think the CEO of Hilton announced, and I could be wrong about this, I feel like I read this, um, announced that he was not going to forego his salary so that he could pay um, employees mm-hmm. that, that aren't working right now. Um, and that, 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 that resonates with me. You know, I'm not a big Hilton, you know, I'm a more of a Marriott person like you do, but <laughs> that resonates with me and it makes me want to go and stay, stay with Hilton. Um, I had a great experience, you know, with, with Expedia, and I know they've been trying to treat their employees well. Um, you know, these companies that are still paying their employees and, you know, really recognizing how hard their employees are working and hiring people, I think those brands are really doing more than just um, dealing with talent issues. They're 
they're building a customer, a strong customer base as well. And that, that feels very different than the 2008-2007. I think you're right. I think too, that's, you know, we've heard a lot about culture and employee engagement and all these things for years. I think now is where you're going to see the companies that actually live it and they care about their employees versus those that maybe don't as much or they don't understand how to show and demonstrate that they do. Um, it's interesting to me too, because I mean, we, we talked at the top of the show about bringing work human on as a sponsor, but you know, that's, that's been in the works for many months. And I, I was, you know, looking recently at just for, for example, what they're doing, um, they are doing, um, so much around sort of helping to provide recognition and connection and celebration with employees. And I saw that they're giving away, um, you can have a year free. So again, for companies that might not have something like already in place, there are resources out there for you to sort of, if that's what your culture values, there are resources that can help you do that if you're not sure how to do that. And that's just one example of it. But you're right. I think too, um, you're talking about Hilton versus Marriott. You know, I'm not, I'm more of a Hilton person, um, have to admit, but I think too, I think people will notice those things over these next coming months of companies that really step up for their employees and it will probably sway our buying habits. I mean, that would be enough to sway me, you know, if I thought that, um, that a company was doing something. Now I will say too, though, on the Marriott side, um, you know, a, a friend of the show, Jessica Lee, um, works in talent acquisition there. And, you know, she, I know for the last few days has been really saying that their um, HR team is willing to, to reach out and help anyone in need. Right. Yeah. Um, and sort of loaning out employees. So I think that, you know, yeah, as you hear those stories, that's what's really going to resonate. That's what's going to stick with people and, and that will just strengthen the brand. And they're not doing it for the purpose of strengthening the brand, but I think it's going to have that effect. Yeah. Well, just to be fair to Marriott, um, and I'm 100% on the brand on all of this, but the uh, CEO of Marriott also has foregone um, their salary and they've cut the pay of all their senior management and the oh, um, the CEO um, and board of Hyatt are also for foregoing their salaries. So it's I think that industry they have so much of their um, of their their staff is you know frontline um, you know getting impacted by this that um, you're seeing it, that was an area where they stepped up you know, immediately. And, you know, United Airlines just, you know, with this bailout, the CEO of United, love them or hate them, um, they've uh, committed aircraft to um, to get medical supplies across the country to different places where they're more needed. Um, so I, I, those things do, the, like, they stick out in my mind as well. And I, I think you're, we're going to learn about, you know, not only who puts their employees first, but who has managed, you know, their, their business to a place where they can, you know, they're prioritizing it where they can afford to do it because there is a, a financial reality to this crisis as well. Um, and it, there's a, um, you know, it, it, how were you, how were you running the business, right? How were you thinking about prioritizing employees and compensation and, and, um, and finances were, you know, were you over leveraging the business and now it's at the expense of employees or, you know, were you, you know, keeping some, 
um, where you did you learn from the last downturn um, how to navigate the next unique downturn um, to the best you can? Yeah, George, I think that's a great point. And I think that's going to be a, a ton of analysis and kind of management writing and, and leadership writing and thinking after this is over is going to be focused just on that, right? Just the, 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 the best managed organizations, the ones with the best cultures, the ones with the, uh, the most enduring and, and kind of caring brands, et cetera. Those seem likely to be the ones that will, A, either bounce back the fastest or B, survive at all, right? That just seems logical. And um, I guess we'll see how that... Um, I guess we'll see how that plays out. Can I just add one other thing? It's a maybe maybe lighten up the tone a little bit and a little bit of a mini rant. I'd like to go on, Trish. Is that all right? Can Absolutely. I can I for a second? I don't need I don't need an email from the CEO of every company I've ever transacted with in the last decade about how they're managing uh, the the coronavirus crisis. Like just because I bought a T-shirt from you in 2015, I, I don't need a personal email from the CEO just assuring me about how they're looking out for things. I just wanted to say that. I feel like I'm getting a lot of those messages and I, I feel like it may be a little bit much. Is it too much? Well, who, who would you like to receive them from then? <laughs> or a company I work with maybe, or I work for maybe, um, I don't know, maybe there's some like long record of interaction. Like I'm a Delta, proud Delta uh, Diamond Medallion member, or at least currently. Yeah. I'm not flying anymore. I like to hear yeah. from my You're friends driving. at Delta. Uh, I'm a Marriott guy since we all kind of professed our our our, our hotel loyalty uh, brands. I am a Marriott guy. I do appreciate hearing from them as well. I've stayed in many Marriotts and I hope to uh, soon again. But uh, I just don't, I feel like there's been a little bit of overkill on just making sure, you know, you're, I'm okay in, in this time of crisis because I had one interaction and you got my email address like seven years ago, right? I, I feel like that's a bit much. And can I make one more since I'm ranting and, and then, I'll, then I'll shut up and it's let smarter people talk? No, want. I just, I'm, Trish, I've been locked up in here alone for ages and I've, had, <laughs> I've not talked to many people. I don't want to see, and I, I'm kind of, I've dialed back the social media big time, so I don't really look at it too much, but still, I'm still, I don't want to see any more screen prints of your video conference, oh, your Zoom wow. thing with all the, the, the little, uh, the, all the, the squares, the Brady Bunch squares. I don't want to see it. Nobody cares. Yes, you figured out how to have the video conference. Everybody's figured out how to do that now. Stop with posting of the pictures of the video conference. Nobody cares. <laughs> You know what? This is why I have to be your co-host because you need someone who has just a more positive outlook and take on the world, right? So I will tell you, I I appreciate your rant about the emails on the coronavirus. However, I would just add that while they might be somewhat annoying, there has to be some comfort in the fact that we are all going through this together. And I think sometimes we try and overcompensate to tell everyone else that things are okay to make our own selves feel like it's okay. So there might be some of that going on. I'm just putting it out there, Steve, like maybe that t-shirt company, you know, they're feeling like things are not okay, but if they say it's okay, it'll be better. Right. So maybe that's it. Just got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then I think too, on the whole video thing, I will agree. You, We've probably all figured it out in these last couple of weeks. However, I will tell you, I have connected more and been invited to more of those type calls than ever before. Um, I'll give you an example. I I participated the other night on a call. There were about 30 people. 
And it was um, a retreat I had gone on like five years ago. Now, again, I've kept in contact with everyone, but, you know, sort of in bits and bites, getting everyone back together and being able to see their faces all at once. And we were just talking about just how we're all doing. It was so nice. So again, if nothing else comes from this, the fact that you're getting online, you're seeing people catching up with how they're doing, what they're doing with their families, they're spending much more time with their families. I I don't know, it makes me feel good. So at a time when things are super scary, to me, it makes me feel good. I don't know. Madeline and George, do you agree, disagree? How are you feeling about it all? Yeah, I think oh. it, it's a way to connect but I think I think we should all try out this house party app which is what my kids are using which is hysterical because it's basically a web conference for kids where you play trivia games in the middle of it oh we need it so see yeah Steve you might like that one it's it's a lot of sports trivia. Maybe. And, I, you know, and I, I, I do right, think. Man, house party. And I want to get George's <laughs> comment on this as well. But I just will say this. this Trish, I want to I push back just a tiny bit. If there was not a better time to be a little bit negative and be a pessimist, now is it. We're, this is our time to shine. And, it, and it's also. <laughs> and it's also like I'm an introvert, right? I like doing the show. Mm-hmm. I like writing. I don't. I mean, I'm an introvert, right? All the way. And, right. and again, this is like, I'm, I'm a Gen X introvert. So I've got the double play no here. No one knows about you either. And <laughs> so like, that's perfect. We're right in our sweet spot, right? We've been ignored and left alone our entire lives, right? And, and just look <laughs> brushed aside. And, and this is, this is. This is this is high time for the Gen X introverts. George, I think you're in a similar I don't know if you're totally an introvert, but I think you're a Gen X guy too. So maybe you could share your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I'm definitely Gen X and I am I actually test introvert every time. I'm uh I get my energy that yeah. way and uh it takes me um you know, uh, it takes a lot of energy out of me when back in the days when we could assemble in large groups. Um, <laughs> but I, um, uh, I, I agree with you on those emails. I had the same comment the other day. I was like looking at my phone and I'm like, who is this company sending me this message about this Cather Hanley coronavirus? And then I realized it was some thing, like just some random product I bought of like 12 years ago and (laughs) i thought i you know but i have to say the zoom thing i i i like especially on the family side like i see a lot of those photos and i've had you know there are people that i'm not that close to in my family and we've connected and it just i don't know i'm i'm a little more patient on the zoom side um but but uh but i hear you loud and loud and clear loud and clear on the on the email front all right, now I'm done, Trish. You, you take take it away. I, I I'm all I'm all out of energy now from my rant too. By the way, I know that's such an introvert that like no one's gonna believe if they've ever seen you on stage before. But um, no, okay. So I obviously um, I'm curious, Steve, what your answer is gonna be, but you don't get to answer first. So because okay. I know your son is away at college, um, so you your answer may be different. But when we're talking about kind of you know seeing people doing things with their their families more. Um, and that might be parents more, siblings more, kids more, whatever the family definition is, right? Um, what what are some of the, I don't know, most unusual or fun things you've done with your family um, in the last, say, two weeks that you normally wouldn't do? Madeline, how about you? I know you've got your little ones at home. Is there anything you're doing that's like different or completely what you wouldn't normally be doing with them? 
Well, they've gone for, it's an interesting question. It's, um, we've gone for many more walks than I think they have ever gone for before. So I think they're a little bit walked out right now. But one thing that thinking about it has been different and interesting for me is basketball has always been like my worst sport. Like I've never been good at it. I, it was like the sport and gym that I would cringe when it would be like the time to play basketball. And now I play basketball every day and many times during the day. And I think I'm getting pretty good. I think I'm becoming a pretty good basketball player. I love it. I love it. George, how about you? I know you've got uh, all different age groups in your home and everything. What are you guys doing that you normally don't do together? Well, let's see. Definitely. You know, I'm with Madeline on the walks. Um, You know, we're, we mandate a, um, a walk a day. Um, A family walk. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. We don't (laughs) use that word with them, but it is, it's, it's required. Um, And then, uh, you know, we, we're having a lot of family game nights and we are not uh game night family game night for us was more of an every now and then sort of you know we don't do it that often so it would be but now we've already had like five family game nights (laughs) where we're we're playing these games and um you can you can tell the temperament during the games has shifted as this has gone on. It's just a couple of weeks, but you know, the first time it's just all fun and now it's getting super competitive, right? Like you've got the teenager and the, and the tween and the five-year-old and it's just, you know, we have to break it up more now than we did four game nights ago, but, but it's, it's uh, we're big about the routine. So we're big about, uh, everybody, you know, getting going in the morning and we've got the, the distance learning happening and everybody's where they need to be when they need to be there online and um, keeping some kind of normal routine to this. So a lot of effort there. Um, Steve, how about you? Have you noticed anything different? I know you have, have family nearby now after you've moved. Are you, are you doing anything different that you might not have been doing before? No, no. I mean, other, no, for me, it's been more, I'm really locked down. It's um, yeah. What's been different is the inability to kind of do some of the things I'd like to do when I'm here, like go to the gym. I was kind of disappointed when my gym closed, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a little bit different um, uh, cause I have, there's no one here in the house with me, just me. So uh, trying to keep myself occupied. I, uh, and I probably wasn't completely well enough prepared. I, I mean, I got food and things like that, but like, I need some more books. And I, I grabbed a book off my bookshelf yesterday morning that I hadn't read in like five years and um, just started reading it again. And I, you know, it's long enough where I don't really completely remember it. So uh, yeah, I've got to, I've got to make a couple of other changes. I think if this is going to last much longer, but, um, but I feel uh, yeah. like you need a pet. So yeah, I, I, I don't, I, no, I probably, One I probably we did was we got three new fish, three betas. So that means three fish, you know, little tiny fish tanks as well. But um, maybe that would be good for you. You need a friend. You need a little yeah, friend. Yeah, no, no, that's all right. No? But uh, I have been, I, I will say this, and I said this pre-show, I've been sitting outside a lot. The weather here is great. I'm very, very tan. Like I'm getting more fit, you know, so I've been running more, running okay. very slowly. I'm getting, I'm tanned. I look, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go when we, when we get going again. So I'll leave it at that. How about you, Trish? I know, I know that since you guys 
nicely invited me to participate a little bit. You've kind of set up a little online learning deal with uh, your kids and your niece and nephew as well, which has been fun. Oh, yeah. I wasn't even thinking of that. So, yes. Um, so my kids are sophomores. I have twins that are sophomores. And then my niece is a sophomore. My nephew is a senior. And his girlfriend, who's basically part of our family, um, is a senior as well. And so one of the things, you know, they, they do have some amount of schoolwork. Um, but some of the classes really didn't. They didn't They didn't do a good job. And they just said, like, oh, go study for the SAT. Well, that's not really going to happen. Which they're not going to uh, have. Right? No. So what we did was um, my sister and I, her education background came into play. And um, we are doing master classes. So last week we had sports week. And we had them watch a different video each day from a master class lesson. And that's just at masterclass.com. And so one day they watched Steph Curry. And again, these videos are short, like six to 10 minutes-ish. And one day it was Steph Curry and we they had to answer two or three questions or be prepared to speak to them. And then the next day was Serena Williams. And then the next day was Simone Biles and so forth. And then we wound up getting on an Uber conference um, and we made Steve participate. So he loved having, you know, his little face in one of the boxes. But anyway, it was really interesting to me because what I'm learning, um, you know, you interact with your children the way you interact with your children. And usually, you know, their schedules are full, whether it's with, you know, music or sports or whatever they do in addition to school. So there's a lot of just running around and activity. What I'm learning is that my kids are are a lot smarter than I even realized, but in ways I didn't realize. So the ability to give them a topic, for example, and just listen to them articulate their opinions and the way their brains work and the way they present information to each other or their cousins. Um, it was really eye-opening. I see them in a whole different light. Um, the other thing to Madeline's point about being really good at basketball now. So I have been getting, I've been playing catch with Jack every day, which I'm not a baseball player, obviously, or even a softball player. And um, I think I know how to pitch most of the pitches now throw a pretty bean knuckleball when I need nice. to and I can catch um it's funny because he put like a glove on my hand and he's like mom put this in front of you and hold it this way and like catch the ball and I was like okay if you tell me to do it I'll do it but like everybody else and he's not of course pitching as fast as he would with his friends but he's definitely throwing it in there and I I don't duck like I I catch the ball and like he's laughing because he goes everybody else like dodges the ball like they don't want to get hit with the ball so I, uh, I did get my first stinger on my arm. That was not fun. Um, but no, I think we're definitely, I, I went through with my kids whenever they were younger. I was always the mom, like the second they came home from school, I would take a work break and we'd play crazy eights or I would finger paint with them or, you know, I was always doing activities. And as they've gotten older, obviously that kind of goes to the wayside. And what I found is that during this time, they seem much more open and willing to do kind of some of those crazy things with mom that they had kind of outgrown. So this week, for example, I just go to Walmart and buy a few little things. I bought just inexpensive kites. So today our activity is we're going to go fly kites. We bought some blank canvases and just some inexpensive acrylic paints at Walmart. And Carly and I have been watching old Bob Ross videos and we try and paint what Bob's painting and neither one of us are painters. So it's just kind of funny to like, see how these things um, happen. But yeah, I think just spending time doing things we definitely were not normally doing. And I hope some of them, I don't know, I hope they stick around. 
I forgot to I mention am. I am also doing a lot of finger painting here. I'm, I'm Are sorry, you doing I, finger forgot. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. I will yes. tell you, I asked them, I was like, you know, there's like all kinds of kits out there. And I don't buy toys much anymore. So I'm like, let's get finger paint. And they're both like, mom, no. I like to I do, do I like to do the paint by number, but then I mix up the number and the color. Like I make my own. Like oh, you if do? Blue, if blue is supposed to be four, I'll make red four and I'll just change them all. Ooh, no, that's get, like, I kind of like that idea. Yeah, no, but I've got everything from bubbles to sidewalk chalk, you name it. 16 year olds normally would not humor me in this, but they're, they're doing really well. So I'm actually grateful. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, that's one benefit, right? To, to folks, uh, you may look back hopefully on this, hopefully we'll all get through it. Okay. And safe and healthy and our families will as well. And you'll look back and say, boy, it was nice that we were able to kind of bond a little bit differently and a little bit more intensively and, uh, you know, and, uh, maybe look back on it more fondly later on, uh, that would be really cool. Oh, man, all right. I think I think I can one thing I can tell about the coronavirus Trish is like our shows are getting longer and longer. I guess everybody's got a little bit more time. But uh, talk. I know it's great though. I think we probably I think we probably put a bow on this one. Maybe just uh, have George and then Madeline kind of just give us one last little, you know, maybe preview anything you got upcoming. George, you mentioned the SHL show. Anything else in the works? Or you just uh, uh, anybody want to shout out, tell us about, uh, your, your, your artistic endeavors at your house or whatever up to you. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the, look for the SHL show. I'll, I'll be sending that in, um, uh, immediately. And, uh, I just wanted to chime in. Um, I've never had a moon pie. I, uh, I, oh, I've, moon pie question. <laughs> I've seen them and, um, I, you know, I, vanilla happens to be, I don't know anything about moon pies, but I know that vanilla is actually the most eaten ice cream. It's like the most popular flavor in the globally, surprisingly. So, you know, I, I can, I can hang with vanilla banana. I don't think would be my thing, but, um, <laughs> but I, 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 I might, I might, they have them up here in the Northeast. I'm, I'm, I might try one now since if, if you're out and about, I highly recommend a moon pie, okay. highly recommend it. All right. All right, we gotta try them. Madeline, have you had a moon pie? And what else is going on? I have um, definitely had a moon pie, and nice. um, never heard of a vanilla moon pie though. We grew up having them all the time, but they were always chocolate with the marshmallow mm-hmm. and like the cookie, and then covered yep. in chocolate. They're Are delicious. They They're so good, Trish. You would love them. Really? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna have to break down and like go to. Yeah, when it opens, I'll go to Cracker Barrel because I know they have moon pies. Yeah, yeah, I would expect your any of your finer establishments would carry the Moon Pie brand. So awesome. Um, all right, all good stuff. Madeline, Radical Research. We'll see more from you soon, I think. And um, George on HR Market Watch. Great to have our network host with us, Trish. We do need to thank one more time uh, um, our sponsors. We do. We want to for sure uh, direct everyone. Please go check out Paychecks at Paychecks.com. P-A-Y-C-H-E-X. And um, and they have a lot going on. They actually have quite a bit of information on the coronavirus and just um, ways that you can handle that if that is something that you're thinking about. Um, a lot of free resources there. And then, of course, to our new um, network sponsor, Work Human. As I mentioned, they have a free year posted right now. But really, it's about, you know, helping to connect your employees, recognize them and celebrate them. And so it sounds like now more than ever, that's, that's becoming um, just the primary focus for people as we're, as we're many of us working remote. So definitely check out uh, WorkHuman at WorkHuman.com. That's it. So for our guest, George LaRock and Madeline Lerano, for Trish McFarland, Trish, uh, go fly a kite. That's my advice to you. And that's right. 
<laughs> I'll report back. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour show. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You will get all the HR Happy Hour Network shows on one feed uh, and just good stuff to come. We'll be with you through this and hopefully everyone's out there doing well and, and staying well and we'll all get through this together. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time and bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.